Hey, hey, welcome to Queer Street. Sorry about that. I don't know where that came from, but welcome to Queer Street. This week, we're going to be talking about book number four in the Fair Street series, Missing. Now, before we get into this too much, I'm going to tell you, I honestly don't know if this is book number four or book number five, because all over the interwebs and even on Arl Stein's website, I see it as both four and five. So I'm going to go with four because that's what I had it down originally as, even though um, the publication date actually puts it at number five, as the next book has an earlier publication date. But whatever, we're just going to roll with it. We're going to do it. We're going to have fun. We're going to have a good time. So however, though, we are now into the 90s, y'all. It is no longer 1989. We are in a new decade. This is the dawn of a new decade. The publication date on Missing is May 1st, 1990, and it comes in at 168 pages, which makes it the longest book as of yet. Normally, they're around on 40, 150-ish. So we got another 20 pages of um, interesting, interesting trips to shady side going on here. And we kind of need these extra 20 pages because this book is a little weird. Okay. I'm going to tell you, it is slow in the beginning and the middle, but then it ramps up and things get batshit at the end and go off the rails. But I really liked it. I really liked it, even though I will admit, and we'll get into this in a bit, there are quite a few plot holes and weird things where I'm like, mm, I don't know, but I loved it. And you'll see why. So let's, first of all, let's read this blurb on the back cover because missing, who's missing? I know you're dying to find out why. So listen up. It says, what would you do if your parents didn't come home, didn't call, left no note? At first, Mark and Kara Burroughs aren't terribly alarmed. Their parents have stayed out late before, but then other things start to go wrong. Mark's girlfriend, Gina, breaks up with him and suddenly disappears. The police don't seem at all interested in finding Mark and Kara's parents and their mysterious cousin who boards with them seems to be spying on their every move. When murder strikes, Mark and Kara learn their parents. Oh, <laughs> when excuse me, when murder strikes, Mark and Kara learn their terror is only the beginning. Someone wants them to disappear too, but why? The answer lies deep in the Fear Street woods. But will they live long enough to find it? <gasps> I know that's a really, really good back of the book blurb or synopsis or whatever this is called. Plus, this book also has some fun little ties to like the mysterious woods. And I kind of like that because woods are scary and shit like we talked about last time. So the little tagline on the front says, first their parents disappeared, then the real terror began. Okay. And y'all, this cover, first of all, we've got Mark and Kara. They both have to be on here because they are both equally represented in this book. But you've got them and they're in walking in the woods. Okay. You can see there's some tree branches. It's, it's foggy. It's late. And... <laughs> they're very clearly being caught surprised because there's a long shadow falling over them, but it looks like Kara is busting a wicked ass dance move. I don't know if she's like mid turn, like, <gasps> and I'm, I'm physically doing her move. You can't see me, but I am, trust me, but it looks like she's dancing, but y'all the fashion, she is wearing an oversized pink sweater, a denim skirt and some opaque blue tights. And her hair is fabulous. You know, late 80s, early 90s, big hair. And then we've got Mark in a, in a leather jacket and a graphic tee and some jeans. So he is not dancing. He looks just as surprised as Kara, but she's really the only one that did not think that they were going to get caught sneaking around in the woods dancing because that's what the cover leads you to believe. But spoiler alert, no dancing occurs in this book. So let's get right into it though. Okay, so we've got Mark and Kara and like so many people in Shadyside, they're new and of course they move on Fear Street because nobody wants to live there because it's creepy AF and you know, 
people come to Shadyside because, you know, the crime rate is so atrociously high, as is the missing persons rate. So we've got to keep the economy going. So we've got new people moving in all the time. So right away, their parents don't show up from work. Not to worry. So what do they do? They throw a party because, I mean, that's what every teenager is going to do. My parents are running a little late. They could still walk in, but let's have a rager and invite all our friends over. So they do this, you know, not caring. Their parents have been home late before. But, you know, of course, what's going on? Who cares? We don't know. So... (laughs) In the middle of the party, the cop comes and Kara freaks out because she thinks, you know, you know, they're coming to break up the party or there's something wrong with her parents. But no, he just says that there was a break in down the street and they want to know if they've seen anything or if they've had any problems. And they're like, no. And he's like, where's your parents? Like, oh, they're working home late. And he's like, don't party too hard. That kind of thing. And he gives her his card to call in case they see anything. Okay. So make note of that. And, um, then, so as they're cleaning up after their party, they send everybody home because, you know, they still are expecting their parents home. They're talking about how, you know, they're not worried about their parents and they moved around a lot. They're not really happy being in Shadyside because they live on Fear Street in an old rambling house and it's not their new house. And they just both got in a fight with their parents this morning because their parents do not like Mark's new girlfriend, Gina. Now, they have only been in Shadyside for a few months, but already Mark has a girlfriend and the parents do not like her. She's not good enough, yada, yada. So they just had this massive fight this morning. So they feel a little guilty that, you know, they had this party and their parents are missing, but not so guilty because, I mean, come on, they were just yelled at this morning. So they deserve a party, right? Right. So <laughs> so they're like, well, you know, we're, we're cleaning up the house. We don't know what's going on let's go ahead and give their office a call before we go to bed. But nobody answers at the direct line that they have of uh, their parents' office. So like, okay, well, maybe they're on the way home. So here's where we finally decide, oh, by the way, let's go ahead and check with Roger and see if he knows. I know what he knows. If he knows where their parents are, I know what you're thinking. WTF, who the hell is Roger? Yeah, we're like a chapter or two in and we're like, no, we're like three chapters in and suddenly we're just like, oh, We've Roger, this is mom's distant cousin, and he lives in the attic. Not like he lives in the attic like he's creepy. We lock him in the attic because he's a freak. No, he lives there because when they moved to Shady Side, he's a student, and so he just needed a place to live. And so he's studying in college, and he lives in their attic. So, I mean, I don't know why they haven't checked with him or where he was during the party. I don't know. So they go up there to see if he knows or if he's heard anything about him, but his bedroom in the attic is empty. So then being the nosy bitch that she will prove to be, Kara decides, let's go check mom and dad's room. Maybe they left a clue there because that's where every parent leaves um, clues or notes about their impending disappearance as their own room for uh, their kids to find out. Well, she freaks the hell out because when they go in there, the bed is not made, the closet doors open, some drawers are pulled out, which girl, I feel you because Oh my gosh, when somebody leaves a drawer slightly ajar with like clothes sticking out, oh, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. I hate it, Kara. I am right there with you, girl, but I would not lose my shit over it like she does. But for some reason, this wigs her out because the parents always keep their room nice and neat, yada, yada. They wouldn't left the house like this. Maybe there was a struggle and Mark's all like, bitch, please. So he's trying to get her to calm down. And then they notice there are some shoes sticking out from under the curtain. Um, scary. So who out, who steps from behind there? Yeah, Mark. 
looking all sweaty and scared and surprised. Um, yeah, bitch, you were just sneaking around behind a curtain. Creepy. So he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I was just looking. Uh, I was just looking out the window and checking on things. And then he decides, but I'm going to go to bed now. It's late. Mm-hmm. So then Kara, again, the nosy bitch she is, finds something on the sheets. Well, it's this little carved white monkey skull with some yellow rhinestones for eyes. And they're all like, um, that's weird. We don't know where this came from. What is it? So Mark decides to keep, well, hold on to it. Whatever. They think nothing of it. They go to bed. But Mark can't sleep. It's 2 a.m. So he gets up to, I don't know, get a warm glass of milk, which, ugh, I'm not a milk fan, but warm milk, barf. I don't even understand how that's supposed to make you feel good if you can't sleep or, ugh. The thought of warm milk makes me just want to gag. But any Hoosiers, <laughs> Mark realizes that Roger is in the front yard, crossing the yard, going across the street and gets in this van. Hmm. Sneaky, sneaky. So he immediately thinks, well, if he's out there being sneaky, I'm going to be sneaky. I'm going to go up into his room again and see if I can find something. But he doesn't make it up there because Roger intercepts him as all like, oh, um, I was just on a walk. And... Mark was all like, I was just going to the bathroom. And so they have this awkward meeting where they both know that the other is a line to them, is a line to them, is lying to them. I was going to say a line jerk, but they're not really being jerks. Where the other is lying to them, but they just are kind of like, uh, okay, and go about their own ways, right? So it's the morning. They wake up. Parents are still missing. So they're not freaking out. They sit down to have breakfast. Yeah, we, we've not called the police. We've not done anything. We've not done, you know, whatever, you know, just go about our day. So Mark tells Kara about what he saw last night. And they're like, that's really weird. Let's go talk to him now. So they go up there, but he's not there. It's super early. They're like, why isn't he here? It's like seven in the morning. Where did he go? We didn't hear him leave. But being the nosy bitch she is, Kara decides to snoop around. So she notices that all of his, all of, um, Roger's notebooks for school are empty. Like he's not been taking notes. I didn't take that many either, but you know, a note every now and then would be good. And that his his textbooks, you know, aren't really used much. And then of course, she looks in the desk drawer to where there's nothing in there but a loaded pistol. So right away, we got some more creepiness from this creepy ass Roger guy. He's living in your attic. He's creeping behind your curtains and he's got loaded firearms. Mm-hmm. Weird. But anyway, they're like, well, that's kind of odd. So they go downstairs to try to see what's going on. But now the phone is dead. Okay. So they're like, I'm going to go to the neighbors. Kara's going to go to the neighbors and call their parents' office to see if they're still there, you know? So she goes and calls the office. Nobody answers the direct line. So they're like, well, we're going to have to just drive in and see. We're going to, we're just going to have to drive in. So there you go. They're like, well, we need to take a car. We need to uh, rent a car or take the bus. But then they go through the garage and notice that the parent's car is still there. Now, again, why they wouldn't have checked it. I don't, this is one of those things. I'm like, there's a lot of not plot holes, but like some, some lines that don't exactly connect, but it is the nineties and it is fear street. And so it doesn't all have to be perfect. I know, but it's still a little weird. Anywho. So the car's there and they're like, well, if their car is here, how do they get to work? Or if the car is here and they're back home from work, where are they? They're like, Hmm, that's sus, but let's take the car to go to this, um, Cranford Industries, where their parents work, and let's find out about them. So they decide to do that. So they drive to Cranford Industries, and 
Spoiler alert, no one there has heard of their parents. The guard at the front gate does not know, the secretary does not know, and the creepy boss, Mr. Marcus, does not know. This is some big, like, tech firm. I don't know. It's the early 90s what tech was back then, but we didn't have the interwebs or anything, so I don't know what the hell they were doing. But I guess um, Mark and Kara's parents install mainframe computers for big companies, so that's apparently some big tech company. But nobody there knows who the hell their parents are. They're not on any directory. They're not in any office, nothing. So they, they, they're like, Hmm, why would our parents lie to them? Why, you know, why, why, why would they do this? And then they realize they don't really know much about their parents. They're teenagers. They don't know much. They don't really know what their parents do for a living. They've moved around a lot and they don't really know this weird ass Roger guy. <laughs> they just randomly met this distant family member that lives in their attic. So they're not really the brightest crayons in the box, nor are they the most observant. So <laughs> they decide, you know what, we're going to get back home. We'll call the, we'll talk to Roger, then we'll call the police. Okay. So they call home before leaving to see if, uh, to see if their parents are home yet. And Roger answers. Hmm, okay, well, the phone is working. So they go home. Gina calls, that's uh, Mark's girlfriend that the parents are like, Gina calls randomly and like is all crying and breaks up with him with no reason. And so Mark just flips out. You know, his parents are missing and could be dead. But right now he is mad as hell and totally broken that his girlfriend has broken up with him. So, and, and... <laughs> Kara's all like, oh, it's okay. Like they completely lose focus of the fact that their parents, you know, they were on the, the hunt for their missing parents, but whatever. So then Kara decides, you know what? Maybe it's time we call the police. It's been almost an entire day. Maybe it's time, but let's not actually call the police. Let me call this officer that just randomly dropped by my house the other day. So she calls this detective Faraday and she tells him what's happening. You know, she'll that they couldn't find their parents, they didn't come home that night, that they went to their office and that nobody knows them. And then they noticed that Roger was listening in on the other line. Oh, the good old days with those landlines where you could just pick one up. Oh, oh, kids these days with their cell phones and call waiting and caller ID and multiple lines, they don't know the joy that is that. But anywho, he was listening in. So they're even more suspicious of him now, okay? So they confront him. Roger denies this whole van thing, and they clearly still believe that he's he's um, he's lying. He doesn't know. But then he has to leave, and Kara's like, we have to follow him, yada, yada, yada. But Mark is still too distraught over his girlfriend to go and continue to search for his parents. He needs a break from all of that drama so he can deal with his personal drama. So Kara leaves, and Roger... Or she leaves to follow Roger and Mark stays. Well, then he gets another phone call from Gina and she's crying. It sounds like there's a struggle and then the, the phone goes dead. So he has to go find Gina. He's got to go to her house, see what's going on because that's more important. You know, he can't spare a minute on his parents. He's got to figure out what happened to Gina. And of course, the easiest and fastest way to her house is through the fear woods. So he goes in there and he gets lost in these creepy ass woods. He hears noises, you know, general haunted woods. And then he falls into a pit. Now, here is one really good thing that I don't think I've mentioned this yet, is that this book goes back and forth between Kara and Mark's 
uh, perspective and point of view. And sometimes their their um, stories overlap. So it's a little bit like reading the four gospels. You know, you get the same story, but you get it in a couple of different ways. And, you know, so like one thing will happen and it'll be Kara's and then at the end of the chapter, but then the next chapter backs up a little bit with that same thing. And it's Mark's point of view. But so Mark falls in this hole, but now we're Kara. She's following Roger and she follows him to a restaurant where he meets this man from the van. Uh-huh, that's right. So now she's even more suspicious of their creepy ass Roger that they don't really even know. Okay, so she goes to leave, but Roger sees her and confronts her and brings her back and says, this is Mr. Murdoch. He's my faculty advisor. We're meeting about my classes and all that. And so she's like, oh, he, he silly me, but she don't believe his ass. Mm -mm. She thinks they're conspiring to kill her too. So she goes home and there's a car following her. Cut to Mark. He's in a pit. Okay. He, it's not a great pit apparently because whoever, whoever dug this trap either was lazy like me and didn't do it the right way. Or I don't know. Mark is just tall. So he gets out of the pit, but then suddenly there's this wild dog there growling at him and it attacks him. They fall back into the pit where they start to struggle. And this is where this gets a little crazy as he's trying to save himself. Y'all, we've got our first death here and it's not Mark. He breaks the dog's neck. <laughs> Seriously, he breaks that dog's neck. I mean, now granted, it wasn't like Lassie or this little, you know, Bichon Frise. It was this wild ass shepherd wolf looking dog that was going to eat him. So I understand. So he doesn't feel about it as bad as you and I do. But he notices that on the dog's collar is this white skull. Okay, cut back to Kara. She's being followed. It's Captain Faraday. So he picks her up and takes her home. Y'all, this is where things are about to start get crazy. You can see it's been a little disjointed, a little slow moving, but hold on to your seatbelts, peoples. Because he takes her home and on the way there, she tells him everything about the revolver and all of that. She spills everything again that they've noticed that what's going on. So Mark then, cut back to him now because we're cutting back and forth. He sneaks into Gina's room. Okay, he climbs up, crimes. <laughs> he climbs up the trellis outside of her house and sneaks into her room because he notices that her dad is watching TV downstairs. She's not in her room, but in her closet, why he goes to her closet, I don't know. It doesn't say, but it factors in for this one purpose only. He finds another one of those little skulls. So he's super sus. Okay. And now in walks Gina's dad with a gun cut back to Kara. Okay. The officer drops her off, and here we come. We get a visit from Lisa Bloom, one of our little background characters that pops up every now and then. And she is really only in this book, in this chapter, for no reason whatsoever, I guess, to add a chapter to the count because she doesn't do anything but just kind of distract, you know, Kara from, you know, the stress of her parents being missing and having that creepy cousin living up in the in the attic. So then she leaves. So then Mark and Kara, Mark gets back home. Um, oh, sorry, forgot to tell you, I got ahead of myself. I know you're thinking, what about Mark and the dad? Well, the dad tells Mark that he heard something. He thought it was somebody breaking in, but it was just him and he shouldn't be there. He doesn't want to have to tell his parents this, but he sent Gina. She was very upset over the breakup. So she went to go to his cousins and he sends him home with a, don't let this happen again. You know, despite the fact that I just found you breaking into my daughter's room and I have a gun pointed at your head. They're just going to pretend like nothing happened. So he goes home, Mark and Kara update each other on their day, okay? And then 
they suddenly remember this Wally guy that works with their parents that he's talked that they've talked about. Okay, why we thought didn't think about him when we went to Crown, I don't know. See, this is another part where you're like, wait a second, what? So they look up Wally in the phone book and they drive out to go see him. Okay. He pulls out a Cranford directory and says, uh, yeah, they were here. Here's their name. Okay. I worked with them every day. You know, we were just a different apartment. I know them. So they decide to take this information back to Faraday. Okay. Now here y'all fasten your seatbelts. I know I said it before, but this is where we really speed up. Okay. We sped up. Now it's fixing to get fucking bumpy. Okay. I could be, if I had a Betty Davis impression impersonation, I could do that. You know, where she's like, hold on. It's going to be a bumpy night. I get, it's just picture me, you know, pretending I'm holding a cigarette and swaying my hips. Um, so they notice when they get back to the house, they're going to call the police and tell Farrah everything, but they notice the lights are on. So like, Oh, maybe our parents are here. Nope. It's the light in the attic. So they go up there where they find y'all. It's our first dead body. I'm so excited. Yay. They find Roger dead. He's got an arrow in the back and he's dead at his desk. They freak out. Well, then Faraday busts in and says, oh, what did y'all do? He tries to insinuate that one of them has murdered Roger. And they're like, um, no, we literally just got here. So then Faraday says, well, let's go downstairs. I'm going to call for backup. We'll talk about this. So he calls for backup using their phone. And uh, they start to talk. And then Kara gets a weird feeling, this weird vibe, you know, from Faraday. So she's like, I need a drink of water. And Mark says, me too. And so Faraday's like, okay. And so they go into the kitchen and once again, saved by the nineties, she picks up the phone and realizes there's no dial tone. The phone is dead again. There's no way he could have called for backup. <gasps> so why is he doing that? So they come out, he tries to talk and suddenly a kerfuffle happens as you know, it happens in life. So a kerfuffle happens, Faraday attacks them and is holding a gun against them. Then bam, in through the door busts nobody other than the faculty advisor, Mr. Murdoch, who's like, hold him right there. And Faraday, blam, blam, blam. That's the actual noise the gun makes. Shoots him dead. Two dead bodies, y'all, in one chapter. I mean, finally. So, however, now though, they're like, well, clearly Faraday's, there's something wrong with him. He's going to kill us. So as he's pointing the gun at Mark, in bus Gina with a rifle. Everybody's got a gun. I mean, Janie's got a gun, Aerosmith reference. Everybody's got a gun here, except for Mark and Kara, you know, but Anywho, so they do, she holds him up and she's like, she blows a hole in the wall and says, I'll shoot you too. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So they lock Faraday in the garage and she's like, we have to get back to my house. So of course they go through the woods. On the way there in the woods, they see these lights and hear this chanting and they see all these people in these robes with candles and they're like, we have to break this up. And, and Gina's like, no, we have to go to my dad's house and get these robes first. So they go to sneak into the dad's house, put on these weird, like, I'm, I don't know if it said they were maroon or if I'm just picturing them as being maroon because that's what you wear when you wear a weird culty robe. It's, it's maroon with a hood, you know, over your face. Totally think of like the movie, The Skulls. Again, 90s reference. So, well, that might've been 2000s. I don't know. I've got to look that up. What year did that come out? Hey Siri, what year did the movie, The Skulls come out? 
Here are some options, movies. I didn't say a score, score to settle. Oh, shit, you're no help. God, you know, I she's always breaking in. I try to give her a chance to actually be useful. <sighs> Bitch. The skulls. I'd say I found it my damn self. 2000. Okay, so it works as 90s, 2000. So anywho, so they put these robes on, go back, and here they come up and they see these two hooded figures and the masks and this third one, and he takes the mask off. And who is it? Y'all, you know who it is? It's their mom and dad. So right away, Kara's like, oh my God, our mom and dad are leaders. They're the, they're the leaders of this cult. They've been going around. We're moving from cities to city. <laughs> they're starting all these new cults. Well, as they're thinking this, the third guy takes his mask off. And who is it? It's creepy Mr. Marcus, their boss. And he starts going on about this. And I shit you not, y'all. The name is the Brotherhood of the White Monkey. I know. I'll let you stop laughing for a minute. And he's talking about how they have to take back the country from the criminals. The government won't do their job. So they're going to do it. He is totally off his rocker talking about that. And that these two traitors have to be dealt with. So now it clicks in that oh, their parents aren't leaders of the cult. They're just going to be brutally murdered by one. Okay. So they're having, they're about to stab them until Mark remembers the white skull, one of the white skulls in his pocket. He throws it at the guy. And then this distracts it long enough. This again is one of the instances where everything ends super, super fast within like five pages. So this distracts them long enough for their parents to overpower them and yell FBI. Yes, guys, they're members of the fucking FBI. And so some of these people scatter. Some of these people freeze. All shit breaks loose, right? So we've got the Brotherhood of the White Monkey. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I have to say it again. The Brotherhood of the White Monkey, right? So, and Gina's dad comes up and says, I'm sorry, when at first I, I agreed with everything the Brotherhood stood for about the anti-crime, but then they started stockpiling weapons and talking about overthrowing the government and murder. And he's like, and I didn't know. And they're like, we'll go easy on you since you've been, you know. <laughs> you know, but he's right there with his daughter, Gina. So he's probably just trying to save face. He was totally in on it. You know that. Anywho, so they arrest him. They arrest this Mr. Marcus who's ranting crazily about revenge. And then it ends. Last chapter, we find out that, yes, their parents are members of the FBI. And they have been going from case to case. That's why they've been moving so much. They were not leaders of a cult. But now that the case has been solved and that all is well and their cover is blown, they will be moving soon. I know. And so poor Gina and Mark. Ugh. Another love torn apart by a cult. Ugh. Star-crossed lovers, just like Romeo and Juliet with cults. Anywho, well, and without the death, well, of the kids. And so, you know, so there, it wraps up. They're going to have to move, and and Gina sneaks him a little note before she goes. It's her address and her phone number, and he keeps the monkey head, because why wouldn't you want to keep it? I would. Seriously, I really would. It could probably make like a nice like pendant out of it or something, maybe a keychain. I don't know. But um, so he's, you know, so their their love will live on. They'll be pen pals. It probably won't last, but I'm not gonna tell them that. But all is right with the world. <laughs> That's how it ends. So I really like this one because y'all, it was crazy. You know, like 
when you think of Fear Street, it's like the murder, the mystery, the supernatural. But this one deals with some FBI, super government. Oh, 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 I forgot to say. The reason that it was all about Cranford Industries is the Mr. Marcus was high up in the Brotherhood of the White Monkey. And I guess Cranford Industries um, had access to government secrets. So that was why the Brotherhood wanted in. That's why they were at Cranford Industries was the Brotherhood was trying to use that connection to you know, overthrow the government or start some things like that. So the plot was just wild and crazy. It was like Fear Street gone wild. It was just, I loved it. It was so crazy toward the ending, but it was, it had a, it had, you know, the same sappy ending, but I thought that was so cool. Their parents, it made me think of the movie, um, the Spy Kids movie, like where they find out that their parent, you know, like Antonio Banderas and Carlo Gugino, Gugino, Gugino. I don't know how to say her last name, but I love her because she's one of those people. She's like 103, but she looks like she's 20. But I love her anyway. But that's what it made me think of. And it doesn't say it at the end, but I picture just like in the movie, like the, Mark and Kara are going to team up with their parents and join the FBI as like FBI's first family and fight crime and and white monkey brotherhoods. I, I just love it. So that's what I think. So that's where Missing ends. They weren't missing all along. They were just being held captive by a cult. So that was cool. Cults are creepy. <laughs> now, y'all, before we get into everything, we're going to do my stars. I gave it five stars because, yes, there was lots of disjointed plot stuff and things that I was like, really? Come on. But for me, the fact that the end was so batshit crazy and it had, like, the cult and the FBI and this, like, weird chanting hooded figures in the forest... Ugh, the way I loved it. So I gave it five stars. It gets 3.59 on Goodreads. Y'all, we get our first two body yaddy yaddies. Ah! We've got poor Roger and Mr. Murdoch. And then we don't have to forget, oh, we, get, we can kind of count, throw the dog in there too. That wild mean dog that Mark killed, but we'll stick with human bodies. But I did make a note that the dog was killed too, because we don't want to forget about him. But Roger and Murdoch, Rip Roger and Murdoch. I'm so sorry. The type of fear clearly was a cult one. Um, to my knowledge, I can think of, I don't think there's another culty Fear Street book that I'm, I'm looking at my collection right now. I've got to think. But so this is definitely a cult one. You could also call it a criminal one, but I'm going to file it under cult. And the queer. Now, this is hard. This was tricky for me because there's not a ton of characters in this book. Normally, you have a huge cast of characters, um, you know, like all these background characters, but not really. But I, the more I thought about it, the queer was definitely creepy cousin Roger. And I feel bad because he's really not creepy cousin Roger. He was, I meant to tell you, he was obviously in the FBI, as was Mr. Murdoch. And, um... And Faraday was, oh, I forgot to tell you, and Faraday was a crooked cop. I just got so excited about the ending. So yes, Murdoch and Roger were um, in the FBI. Roger wasn't really their cousin, but, um, and Faraday was a crooked cop that was in with the Brotherhood. And when they found out that Roger knew too much, he killed him and Murdoch too. So sorry about that. But clearly the queer is Roger, you know, just because I just totally got the vibe from him. Just, first of all, his bedroom was very, very neat. Um, and just, I don't know, the vibes I got. Plus, it I mean, it wasn't anybody else. But I don't know, the vibes whenever you just Roger. Not because he was a creepy cousin. Not all queers are creepy cousins. Some are, but not all. But Roger is the queer for this book. And the next book, which, again, is probably realistically book number four, but it's going to be the fifth one, is The Wrong Number. Probably one of the more well-known ones. So I'm really excited about that. So here we have Missing 
Mark and Kara reunited with their FBI parents. How badass is that to find out that your parents are FBI people and they just took over this giant brotherhood of the white monkey cult. <sighs> and you get a cool little souvenir. Great, great, great. Love it. It's a win. So plus we got bodies. We got queers. This was just a win all around for me. So yeah. So that ties us up for this one. A little bit longer of an episode for a, a little bit longer of a book. A little bit batshit crazy of an episode, but that's just me. Not just because the book was batshit crazy. But next week we'll talk about the wrong number. So until then, have a great week and stay queer. Bye.